All right, Philippians chapter number two. Philippians chapter number two. Two things I'd ask if you, if we get on your heart about these matters over the coming days. Uh, please remember, the next few nights I'll be up in Middleton, Tennessee, in a meeting at uh, Porter's Creek Baptist Church tomorrow night, Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday night. There'll be two messages I'll preach Sunday night. They're going to take a break between the two. And then our Bible Institute. Our Bible Institute uh, tomorrow night will be the fourth uh, round of classes. So that's going to put it a, a, a third uh, of the way through the semester. These years have got by us. We're trying to complete our 19th year in the Bible Institute. And God's blessed. In spite of those of us who take part, God has blessed. And we're grateful. Philippians chapter number 2, verses 12 and 13. Would you stand with us, please? We read these verses, give a brief review, we'll cover these verses, and we'll be finished with our part of the service then tonight. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Thank you for standing. I'm interested tonight in the inworkings and outworkings of the Christian life. The inworkings and outworkings of the Christian life. If you remember, we had nine messages we looked at in, out of chapter number one. This is now our third in chapter number two. And the Lord willing, there'll be at least three more. We'll deal with two, deal with two particular characters. And, when, and, of course, we'll deal with our behavior as it concerns the local church. Uh, the Lord willing, next uh, next Wednesday evening. But uh, I'm interested in this uh, these inworkings and outworkings of the Christian life. We'll divide it just like we titled it, the inworkings of the believer's life. That's our part in salvation. The outworkings, or excuse me, the outworkings is our part, and the inworkings is the Lord's part. The outworkings, the expansion of the believer's life, the inworkings, the sanctification of the believer's life. We could probably, if we took a poll, if we talked about um, opposites in the believer's life, we might talk about the ups and downs. Um, we, we all talk about the mountains and the valleys, or we might talk about the ends um, or some other uh, area of it. But tonight, of course, Paul deals with this thing of how that it's God that works in us, and we are to work out what he has put in us. And so our salvation, according to these two verses, is a work that is outward and inward. And these two workings that we'll talk about go on simultaneously, and they go on continuously. Whenever we were saved, God did a work in us when he saved us, but he continues to work in us. And then outwardly, there ought to be some expression of that, right? And this will go on both God working in us and, and us working out what he's put in us, both of this will go on simultaneously inside and outside until we get to heaven. That's just part of the way that, uh, that God has set this thing up. A, a lot of times when we think of salvation, you know, we, we think merely of, well, I'm going to heaven, and that's enough to shout about. But really with God working in our lives, that's bringing heaven to us. Sometimes when we talk about salvation, we talk about, well, I'm not going to hell. That's enough to shout about. But salvation is so much more than that, isn't it? It's so much more than that. 
goes so much farther uh, than that, and we're grateful for that. God saved us, and he sanctifies us. I want to say two or three things about this phrase of working out your own salvation. I was uh, in the first pastorate, and the church field, of course, uh, it, it covered the, barely the, the northwest part of Pontotoc County, the southwest part of Union County, and just over was Philadelphia Baptist Church, not too far from the church, and the Union Church of the Nazarene, so there was the Lafette County line. It's a country church. It's a growing church to this day. Brother Don Sparks is over there and pastoring, and, and God's blessing the work, and I rejoice in that. But I was out visiting in the community one evening. I did that a number of evenings for a long amount of time till I got the church field visited. And there was a man that said to me, um, he said to me, he said, well, I appreciate the invitation. He said, I'm not going to come to church. He said, you know, the Bible says, and um, the Bible says in the book of Philippians that you're to work out your own salvation. I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to work out my own salvation. Well, I was young and didn't know any better. I, I didn't know how to respond to it. I just said, okay, can I pray with you and invite him again as I left? And, of course, then I went home, and you know what I did. I studied that phrase. I found it for myself, and, and I studied it. So working out your own salvation, let me just say two or three things to us about this. Let me tell you what Paul is not writing about. He is not telling us to, to work for our salvation. He's not telling us to work for our salvation. Now, number one, we know that as we take a contextual consideration, right? Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Notice who he's writing to. A text out of context is a pretext. You've heard me say that. You've heard others say that. So when you consider the context of it all, you know immediately he's not talking about working for your salvation. Notice this in verse number 1 that he's writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi. That's who he's writing to. That's the setting of the book. That's the context of the book. So when he says write, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, he's not telling us that we work for our salvation or that we work to be saved. Number two, not only a contextual consideration, but a comparative consideration. We know the Bible has no contradictions, right? And so we know if the Bible uh, does not allow for a works-based salvation in another portion of Scripture, it won't allow for it right here, right? If there's an apparent contradiction, it'll be with the one holding the Bible. And so we learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 13 that the way that we study the Bible is we lay uh, Scripture down by Scripture, and we compare the two. We compare doctrines. They'll always complement each other. They'll never contradict. The Old Testament doesn't contradict the New. The New doesn't contradict the Old. It will always uh, dovetail, right? The Word of God will. And so we know the Bible teaches us in the book of Ephesians that uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know even from that, that comparatively, that he's not talking about working for salvation. A contextual consideration, a comparative consideration, then a theological consideration. Just to be solid doctrinally. Look back at right here in this chapter, verses 6 through 8. Notice what he says about Christ. Verses 6 through 8, theologically. The Bible says in verses 6 through 8 of chapter 2, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself 
of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So here we were reminded as we looked at this two Wednesdays ago, we were out at Shady Grove last Wednesday, that Christ has provided salvation through the work of the cross. So you can't provide salvation for yourself. Theologically speaking, only Christ, Christ alone, only Christ. He took upon him the form of a man that he might die for men. He took upon him the form of a man that he might bear our sins in his own body. And we thank God for that. Uh, Scores of hymns have been written about the work of Christ You often hear me quote those two lines, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And that's all we have is is Christ. We rest in him tonight. We rest in him. Let me say one other thing before we get into these two divisions, these two verses. Salvation is a personal matter. Isn't that right? He says work out your salvation, your own salvation. So twice there, We see in the phrase that he makes it real personal, and salvation is very personal. Christ has provided salvation for anyone and everyone that will come unto him in repentance and faith, but that's not a personal salvation until you come to it, until you come to it, until you are saved. That salvation is not, it doesn't do you any bit of good until you come to Christ. And so should you be here tonight and not know Christ, you're hell-bound, not heaven-bound. You're outside of Christ. Whereas those of us who have been redeemed are inside Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. Um, I was writing to a fellow today, and, and as I often do, when writing to somebody, I sign it, In Christ Jesus, Kevin Merritt. And it doesn't matter if I'm writing to someone who is saved, a brother in the faith, or if I'm writing to somebody in the professional world somewhere. And uh, as a matter of fact, I, I wrote to a man that's well-known in the Boonville area. And I've done that four or five times over the last year uh, through email. And I always sign it like that. I'm not, not ashamed that I'm in Christ Jesus. I've been redeemed. That's what that means. That's what that, what that means. It's got to be personal for you. You must know him personally. You think about the most, if I were to ask you the most uh, well-known psalm, you would no doubt say, uh, Preacher, that'd be Psalm 23. And that psalm begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you take the first two words out of that psalm, you have nothing. But then if you were to take that little personal pronoun, my, in front of shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, then it means nothing to you personally. Um, If you go to the Sermon on the Mount, where the Lord, he said, after this manner, pray ye. He said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And he goes on and says some other thing, but he begins with those first two words, my father, our father. If you don't know him as your father, the rest of the prayer doesn't do any good. You can recite it on a basketball court. You can recite it in a courtroom somewhere. You can recite it at your family reunion. doesn't mean anything to you if you don't know him in a personal manner. I was reading about this mom and this little girl. She would read the... um, you know, the three little pigs and Goldilocks and the three bears and read all these stories to the little child. And, of course, they're church-going people. And so she was, uh, uh, she was interested to 
find out how much she might know. And uh, so one day, uh, she knew she'd been paying attention in Sunday school and preaching because she'd talk about it every now and then. So one day, after reading about the three little pigs, she decided she'd get her Bible and she opened up to Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open unto me, I will come in unto him and will sup with him and he with me. And she said, darling, she said, I want to ask you a question. She said, yes, mother. She said, if Jesus were to knock on the door of your heart, would you let him come in? And she said, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. said, I wouldn't let him come in. She didn't understand, right? But we do. And I'm glad one day. Now, that's expressed differently by, by different people. Some say, when I received Christ. Some express it by saying, when I got saved. Some flip it like the old, older generation say, when God saved me. It's expressed differently. But he comes knocking. And all we can do is bow before him. In repentance and faith. That means in repentance, that means we turn from the world and our sin to Christ. That's when salvation takes place. Salvation is provided by Christ on the cross of Calvary. But salvation needs to be personal. It needs to be personal. It needs to be something that you don't just talk about every now and then. But uh, you need to have a personal walk. You need to know him personally and have a personal walk with Christ. Let's look at this first uh, verse that we've read tonight, verse number 12. I want you to consider the outworkings of the believer's life. Our part in this matter of salvation, the expansion. Now, our lives are to be expanded, if you understand what I'm saying. You'll notice it here in verse number 12. Paul writes, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This work out your own salvation, the idea of that is to develop thoroughly, to take something to its ultimate uh, conclusion, uh, to, to finish the work. Uh, some would preach tonight that it's Christ that does it all, from salvation to sanctification, all of it, and you don't have a choice in the matter. But now, beloved, according to this verse, we are responsible to live for Christ. We are responsible to grow in grace. We are responsible. We are responsible for the principles taught in the Word of God. He says, work out your own salvation. Bring the matter to its conclusion. Develop, invest yourself. Grow and, uh, for Christ. Now, there's a couple of things he tells us we are to be by the use of these words, work out. It comes from one Greek word, and it gives you the idea of mining, number one, and farming, number two. In other words, he says we're to be full-time miners. A miner goes down into that mine shaft, and there are valuable, there's valuable ore or gold or whatever would be there, but he's got to work himself and find it and get to it and retrieve it and bring it out of the mine shaft. There's a process he has to go through. So it is with the believer's life. Just as sure, I just saw Lindsay shift Annie Ray around. Just as sure as when Warren and Lindsay brought this precious child home, they didn't set the child out under the carport and with, with a bottle and a can of formula and, and, a, and a diaper bag full of items needed and say, now, all right, now you do the best you can. Doesn't work that way. She's a babe. 
And she has to be nourished and tended to and nurtured and, and loved and, and held and, and whatever she needs, attention needs to be given to her. So it is in the matter of salvation. So it is in the matter of salvation. We are to tend to our salvation. You're in Philippians 2. Go back to the left to Ephesians chapter 1. What an epistle written to the believers at Ephesus. Would you notice chapter number 1 and verse number 3 with me, please? The believer is to be a full-time miner. He says, work out, mine out all the valuable ore. Get everything you can get out of this. Um, those who have the most peace are growing Christians. Those who have most, the most joy in their walk with Christ are those who have learned to rest in him, no matter what's going on around them. I love this verse. It's a rich verse. Ephesians 1, verse number 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, watch this, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All the blessings of Christ. We're joint heirs with him. All the blessings of the Spirit. They are ours. They are ours. We're rich, perhaps uh, not in houses and lands and belongings that way, but we are wealthy beyond compare tonight. The book of Ephesians is all about that, right? And so Paul is admonishing us over here. He's, uh, he's exhorting us over here in Philippians 2 and verse number 12. He's letting us know you have these spiritual resources at your fingertips. Make use of them. Make use of them. And what are we mining? Well, we are mining gold. We're mining silver. And we're to be mining precious stones. At the judgment seat of Christ, our works are going to be tried by fire. Now, if we're building with wood, hay, and stubble, uh, that's all going to burn up. And we'll be saved just so as by fire. Uh, be, no, be no rewards. I used to think, well, you'd be selfish to want a reward. I think selfish for Christ. I think jealous for Christ, if your motive be correct. I do want to lay something at the feet of the Lamb. I do want to say, thank you, Lord. I do want to say just a small portion for the great work you've done for me. So I think if, if you have the right motive, if you're filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, at the end of the journey, there'll be something you'll be presented with. At the judgment seat, you can in turn do what they do around the throne of God, casting their crowns at the feet of the Son of God, God the Son. And so um, we, we are to build. We are to build. We're to add to. We're to mine out all the, the valuable ore. I do believe, and I know you believe. Salvation is not something we just lay claim to and walk on. It's something we experience, right? Day in and day out. Salvation is not something just that we experience on a Wednesday night and a Sunday morning in a Bible conference meeting. Salvation is something we live out in our lives. And while we're living it, we may enjoy it. We may enjoy it. Thank God we may enjoy it. I couldn't help but think today about when we were in the book of Nehemiah and you remember we were talking about how that you know Judah finally started saying that was the best they had to offer. Started saying, 
what the enemy had been saying. And you remember Nehemiah just stayed with it. He just, he stayed with it. And we were talking about you, if you'll remember, we were talking about that particular evening, how um, that, that they were not enjoying what God had put their hands to do. Um, it be, become somewhat of a chore. They were missing the joy of it all. And you remember we used as an illustration, I want to go back through the two of them, but the man that boarded the ship to come to America, and among his bag of belongings, he had packed cheese and crackers and was rationing himself. Finally, a man approached him and said, why are you eating cheese and crackers? He said, all I could afford was the fare. I can't afford to eat in the dining hall. And he said, it was included. It was included in the fare. He said, here you are. You could have been dining on the finest. And then you remember Margot Walk. She didn't talk about it until she reached her 90s. She was a taste tester for Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler and those who were around him knew that there were those that wanted to take him out. And one way they could do that was poison him. And so Margot Walk was, she was a teen. And they brought her in and forced her, among others, uh, Adolf Hitler was a vegetarian. He loved asparagus and, and various things. They made them eat that. And she gave testimony and said it was some of the finest food I've ever eaten in my life. Said they had only the best for Hitler, but I never enjoyed one meal knowing that I could be eating my last meal. Do you know there's a lot of Baptists like that? Did you know there's a lot of Baptists like that? Do you know there's a lot of Baptist churches... Now, I want to tell you something. Don't you take for granted. When we dismiss around here, don't you take for granted that an hour after we dismiss, there'll be still people standing in that aisle right there. Don't take that for granted. Do y'all ever go anywhere? Y'all travel nine months out of the year. You're somewhere nine months out of the year. Do y'all ever walk out and wonder, what in the name of God just happened? I've preached like that. It takes more out of you. I mean, you just war slam out. One of the reasons why we're trying to do what Brother Fred Morris does in his meeting in our Bible conference, have Monday afternoon services, because Monday morning's the hardest morning uh, of the week for a preacher. And so don't take that for granted. You say, preacher, I wish we, you better be glad we do a few things and have a little fellowship. Hey, some, preach, some churches, you can't, you can't do that, and they don't do that. The believer is to be a full-time minor. Number two, is to be a full-time, or she is to be a full-time, not just minor, but also farmer. You see, the word work out uh, that comes from the one word means not only to mine all the valuable ore, but it means to farm the field, to yield the harvest. It means to invest in the property, uh, to work the seed. It means to cultivate, plant the seed. Uh, it means to plow the field. It means to weed the field and then yield the greatest harvest. Yield the greatest harvest. Uh, a farmer is, is some of the hardest working people that I know. Do any of y'all know Miss Denise Graham? Uh, the, you, yes, you have never shook a man's hand that has a firmer grip than that lady does. 
And she's been that way ever since I've known her. You can set your watch by her. She's that kind of a church member out at Pleasantdale. She's worked on that dairy farm. And uh, I've been passing by through the week out there over the years. And I've seen her pick calves up and just, just walk with them. But a farmer, you might think even a row crop, somebody that's planting soybeans or corn or cotton, that there's just a season that they work. They work all year round. There's something to do all year round. There's something for you to do all year, every year of your life. And look, I, I could get on the things that we all take for granted, right? I could get on I could get on our Bible reading, I could get on our prayer time, I could get on our our our, our attendance of our church service and and uh, and our witnessing. Don't you appreciate how God moved on Aaron while he was leading us in prayer tonight about his own witnessing? If you were listening, there probably was a chord in your heart that said guilty. I'm guilty too, preacher. Um, but we're to work out your own salvation. Here's what's unique. Your own salvation. Now, there's a common salvation, right, that we all share in. Isn't that right? Jude wrote of the common salvation. He said, I wanted to write unto you about the common salvation, but it was needful for me that I write unto you. And then he got off into the warnings of apostasy. Your own salvation, though we who are saved, we're saved by the same blood, sealed by the same Holy Spirit. We are nourished by the same scriptures. Beloved, God has a tailor-made plan for your life. We call it the will of God for your life. There's the will of God for my life. I don't think we've had a missionary since I've been here that has done this. I have heard maybe a couple over the years that have come through and want to make everybody feel guilty and those type things and say, um, you don't do what I do because you ain't got the faith. I got the faith. Hot diggity dog. That's what you're looking for. I got the faith. I got enough. I got in. I got all the way in. I've got faith. Faith ain't the problem. God didn't tell me to go to the mission field. God told me to be right here and help missionaries that are on the mission field. I never will forget when God was dealing with my heart to preach. I did whatever preachers done. I offered every excuse. If you want to see the excuses we all uh, offer to the Lord, go to Exodus 3 and Exodus 4. Watch Moses. Every excuse he gave, I have given, and probably these preachers have too. And we've all given this. And what we've done is, what, what, we've, what we've done is that we thought at one time perhaps it was all dependent upon us. But it's not dependent upon us at all. All God needs from us is obedience and submission and a yielded spirit. I never will forget that first never will forget that first Wednesday night when my pastor put me in front of the church. I will never forget. Brother Charlie said, Do you want to say anything? And I said, Y'all pray for me. I don't know what I'll say. I didn't think I could say anything. My eyes were in the wrong place. But I never shall forget that Sunday night. I thought God would kill me if I didn't surrender to preach that Sunday night. I'd spoken to Brotherhood down here at New Rob's Bethel that Sunday morning. And then, of course, I led the singing. I taught a Sunday school class and, and then come back Sunday night at the service and, and uh, taught a training union class and led the singing. And I thought when I walked out the door, now everybody in the house, I didn't know it until Wednesday night, but everybody in the house knew I was struggling. Everybody knew I was struggling. I was under conviction. But when I walked out the door, it seemed like I was free as a bird. 
I thought maybe I don't have to preach. And then God, oh, he convicted me so. I called my preacher and I said, Brother Charlie, would you meet me back down at the church? You want me to come to your home? He knew what was going on. And I turned and told Amanda, I said, you know what the Lord's calling me to do? And she said, I do know. I left her in tears. I'll never forget, we got on this side, the old church building. It's down now. We got on this side of the pulpit, uh, right up against the wall. And we prayed together. And never will forget, when we got up, uh, Brother Charlie asked me, he said, Son, do you have any ideas? God calling you to the mission fields? God calling you to evangelism? Uh, do you have any idea? Uh, is, are you to be a pastor? I knew in my heart right then what I was to be. God can talk where you can understand him. I knew I'd be a pastor. Some of the things that I'm doing right now, I sensed it even in my early days being a preacher. I wish somebody had told me how to navigate some of that. The school and meetings and things like that. And don't not worthy to do any of it. But it was in my heart and seed form years ago. He says, work out your own salvation. Then he says, with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling, with reverence and passion. He said, that's how you go at this thing. With fear and trembling. Preston Taylor had this to say. He said, don't treat the sacred as though it were a slapstick comedy. I'd say it like this. Don't treat what God has set aside to be holy as something flippant in your life. I was in revival. I, if I told you the church and the preacher, you'd know the church probably, possibly know the preacher. I was preaching revival, last revival I preached for him. I don't know why he pulled this stunt. He was trying to make a point after I preached. And he took his Bible and he said, if you're not going to listen to it, you ought to just, and he took it and he slung it. Broke my heart. I don't even think you ought to leave your Bible on your car dash all week. I don't think you ought to leave it on your coffee table all week. That's the Bible. The psalmist esteemed the Bible more than fine gold. That's the Bible. You won't know the will of God for your life? Read the Bible. You want God to tell you audibly? Read it out loud. That's where you're going to find the will of God for your life. The believers to be a full-time miner. The believers to be a full-time farmer. Let's look at this second verse now. He writes here in verse number 12, Wherefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Then here in verse number 13, he moves from the outworkings in the believer's life. That's what comes out of us. That's fruit-bearing, by the way, to the inworkings in the believer's life. This is God's part in this matter of salvation and our walk with Christ. It's the sanctification of the believer's life. Watch verse 13. He says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. While we're working out this salvation, while we're bearing fruit, while we're growing, God's working in us. 
He works in us. He works through us. He works with us. God is at work. God's at, at work. He writes here, for it is God which worketh in you both uh, both the will and do of his uh, both the do and will of his good pleasure. This word pleasure means desire. His good desire, his good purpose uh, for his plan and also for your life. He's working in me his desire. He's working in me his purpose. Now I want to say something about the working of desire and then the working of duty that he mentions here. First of all, the working of desire. He writes here in verse number 13, For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Both to will. This word will, again, it's the word for desire. Let me show you something. Uh, look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here's another thing I struggled with while I'm giving a little bit of personal testimony. Uh, then we'll make a practical application. In the qualifications for a bishop, which is a pastor, he's called the under-shepherd, he's called the overseer, a uh, lot of synonymous words uh, with this bishop. But we know this is qualification for a pastor, or the pastor in chapter 3, and then also we find the qualifications for a deacon um, in chapter number 3. But watch this. I, I had trouble with this. I was a Bible reader uh, after God saved me, I immediately became a Bible reader. And, and I knew God was calling me to preach, but, but watch. And I felt like it was into the pastorate as well. Chapter 3, verse number 1 of First Timothy, he says, This is a true saying of a man desire the office of a bishop. He desireth the good work. The audacity that a man <laughs> would desire to pastor a church. But it's not audacity at all. It's God that puts the desire in him. It's God that puts the desire in there. It's God that does the calling. It's God that took Ken Trivet out of the south and put him in the upper Midwest. We call his name regular around here. Other churches do. It's God that directed Brother Fred Morris. Brother Donald calls his name for prayer every Wednesday. Brother Fred was doing the work of Wall of Grace long before he ever founded Wall of Grace. Matter of fact, first car I know of that, that he gave to a preacher. He raised money across the south for Brother Kenny Digby. Gave it to him at Wheeler Grove Baptist Church. Called preachers and said, if y'all take an offering, if y'all don't finish paying for it, we can't all pay for it. He said, that Jeannie and I will pay for it. And he would have. And he has done it a lot. The qualifications of a bishop. God puts the desire in you. God puts a desire in you to open the scriptures. It's God that draws you to himself. It's God that puts a desire in you to be in the Lord's house tonight. God puts that desire. Don't ask your question. I couldn't help but think about it today. While looking over this passage again. Now why doesn't people, why don't people do more than they do for the Lord. It's because simply they don't want to. Let's be honest tonight. I do what I want to do. And you do what you want to do. And a lot of times we say, well, I can't. But really we need to say, I won't. If we get honest, we can. Sometimes you hear me say, well, uh, God won't ask you to do anything that you can't do. 
And to be honest with you, really all the Christian life is living a life that we can't live. None of us can live it. And really he has to help us live it. Brother Doug Jones, I've heard him talk about God putting something in his heart. I've heard him tell it. Some of you probably have heard him tell this. Years ago, when, when he left Hurricane, he was there for six years. Of course, you know he was nearly 45 years at Victory. But between the two, his couple of years, he wasn't in the pastorate, and he preached meetings and, and preached Sunday services here and there, and he preached meetings. And he's a plumber by trade, and he had been so hurt that's no reflection on anybody that's out there at Hurricane now. It was an older generation that's already gone on. But he had been so hurt. As a matter of fact, one of the most embarrassing things they did to him uh, was in the clergy chair that he sat in. They slit, the, they slit the fabric and put tacks under there. And when he sat down, he didn't give them the satisfaction. He said, it hurt me like it hurt anybody else. But he said, I didn't give them the satisfaction of even grimacing. But he's, he is so embarrassed the way he and Miss Billy were treated and so hurt. He had made his mind up he wasn't going back in the pastorate. And he had all his plumbing tools. He was a plumber by trade. And he said, I can make a living and preach meetings. And then he said, God got to dealing with him about them plumbing tools. <laughs> and he said, I said, God, I ain't giving them. And he said, you need to get rid of them plumbing tools. He said, God, I ain't going to do it. And he said, God kept telling him, get rid of your plumbing tools. He said, he's at Camp Zion. Been out of the pastorate for a couple of years, and he knew God was readying him to go back to the pastorate, and he didn't want to do it. He's hanging on them plumbing tools, and said, Brother Percy Ray got up and said, he said, y'all said, we got a need here at camp. Said, we, we need some plumbing tools. And he said, he said in his heart, said, said, he said, God, I ain't giving them. Said, they went on in the service and went to dismiss and said, Brother Ray got up, and he said, y'all said, I want you to pray about that. I feel impressed to make it known. He said, he said, we need some plumbing tools around the camp. And he said, God told me, he said, give him plumbing tools. He said, I walked down the aisle and said, I took him by the hand, took Brother Ray by the hand. And I said, Percy, I got your plumbing tools out there in the vehicle. I'll bring them right back in here to you. And said, when he did that, God put it in his heart to start Victory Baptist Church. In the first pastor, there was a preacher surrendered to preach in a revival. Brother R.J. Wyman was preaching. And I was learning to love books back then. I was growing. and had a six-volume set, Matthew Henry's green-bound six-volume set. It's wordy. I wouldn't recommend it. I'd recommend the one-volume concise because he'll word you to death, especially if you're from the deep south as I am. He'll wear you out. But he's still one of the best commentators after all these years. I give $89 and change plus tax right up here from Wendy Ward. And that young man surrendered to preach that night, and God said, give him in books. And I said, I ain't going to do it. I can't do it. I didn't have the money to replace them. And God said, give him the books. And I didn't do it. And God wouldn't let me sleep. Nothing at work went right. I did my job. Nothing on the job went right, though. You know how that can be. And after God wore me out a few days, I loaded in books up in my pickup truck and I took them to that young man's house. And I said, God, I didn't tell him I'd been wrestling with it. I said, God said, give you these books. That weekend, there was someone that did not even know 
that I had given those books, give me 200 bucks, and said, Preacher, you're going to need you some books. Go buy you some books. I could have bought two and a half sets of Matthew Henry. You cannot outgive God. If a missionary comes through and God tells you to give him $100, give him $100. If God tells you to give 1000 in the missions offering this year, give 1000 If he tells you to give two, give two. I know a man just built for he and his wife. They've got their kids raised. They have grandchildren coming on. Just built a brand new 1,500-square-foot house for he and his wife. Paid cash for it for years. This was his prayer. He was a physical therapist for years. He said, Lord, I don't want to just give a tithe after what you've done for me. He said, I want to give 20%. He got to where he could give 20. And he said, Lord, let me give 30. And he said, Lord, let me give 40. He said, Lord, let me give 50%. And he said, Lord, 60% and 70%. And I don't know if he ever reached it, but his prayer before he retired was he wanted to give 90% of his income. And I'm telling you, God has blessed that man coming and going. You cannot outgive him. You cannot outgive him. Cannot outgive him. It's God, for it is God which worketh in you. He writes here in verse number 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. Have you ever had a personal struggle in your life? You knew what was right. You knew what was right. But the old flesh got the best of you. I've been there. My hardest thing, I, as far as the flesh happened to me in June of 2019. And I won't give you the details of it, but I'll just tell you the flesh got the best of me. And that went on for three or four days. And, and, and I just, first time in my life I ever got honest with how I felt as far as anger was concerned. And I said, Lord, I didn't do anything to ask for this. And I was angry at an individual, very angry at an individual. Humanly speaking, felt like I had good reason to be. I didn't ask for it. And I'd pray and I'd say, Lord, I can't, I can't live like this. And I remember saying this, Lord, I'm not even willing. Would you make me willing to forgive him? You know what happened? That quick. But I had to get honest. I said, Lord, I know what you've told me to do, and I'm not doing it. I'm not even willing, don't even want to. But if you'll make me willing, I present myself to you. Happened just like that. Christians don't have to walk around with an old long face and a sour attitude. None of us do, and we've all been there at times. The working of the desire for it is God who put that in me. My attitude wasn't right. Who put it in me that it, was, it, that it wasn't right? Well, it was him. Pointed out the wrong, reminded me of what was right, and called me to it. And when I gave it to him, he took it, and I praise him for that. F.B. Meyer, a British preacher of yesterday, and I've got to close, I'm fixing to, but uh, F.B. Meyer, um, 
all these preachers that come through and preach here, probably he would be one of their favorite writers. Uh, he struggled with a matter in his life and learned to pray, God, I can't. But if you'll help me, I can. If you'll help me stand in your strength, I will. C.T. Studd was a missionary of yesteryear, and they were traveling. It was cold. He and another missionary, and in the night, the missionary, they were sleeping on pallets beside each other. It was cold, and he couldn't feel him or find him, so he got up, and he eased out, and sitting out in the cold, out in the weather, was C.T. Studd with a lantern and a Bible. Another missionary said to him, said, uh, said what is... What is the matter? What are you doing out here? Won't you wait until sun up? And he said, something isn't right in my spirit. And I'm reading the commands of God in the New Testament to find out what is the matter. I want to be right with God. I want to be right with God too, friend. The working of the desire, the working of duty. For it is God which worketh in you both to will, in other words, to want to, and to do of his Good pleasure. This word worketh, it's where we get our word energy from. Kenneth Weiss, the word smith, the, the Greek word scholar, he said you would say it something like this, for God is the one who is constantly putting forth his power in you. A church father of the first century, he said we will, but God works the will in us. We work, therefore, but God works the working in us. And that is the truth, isn't it? That is the truth. I'm going to stop. I think I could go another 30 minutes, and I know some of you are saying, oh, don't do that. <laughs> but I'm talking about the in-workings and the out-workings of the Christian life. If you're saved, here's what I know. I know if you've been exposed to truth, and you have, then I know what the Holy Ghost does. He, he calls you to truth. He does do that. The outworking is what you see in my life. It's what you see, the pattern of my life, the fruit of my life, the labor of my life. The in-working, as God works in, you see it on the outside, you see. But he's always busy doing something. I came across this while reading back over this passage and trying to prepare for tonight. Um, Einstein moved to Pasadena, California, and they had to get... um, they had to get some of the patrol to kind of keep people moving. When they'd come by, they knew if Einstein was at home, there was work going on on the inside, and everybody would slow down to look at the house he lived in because they knew he was working on the inside. They knew something was going on in there. And when I read that, I thought about this. Can people look at your life and my life and know there's something going on in there? Can they? When you go to school, can they, can they see Christ? When you go to the job, do they see Christ? Was it Moody that said you're the only Bible? You're the only Bible most people will ever read. And that's the truth, isn't it? Let's stand. Miss Angie, you come. I've got to quit.